gas that's tempered when it is hit or it gets a blow from some object it will flex but it will always return back to its original form and so grace is the flexing and truth is that original form And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. On this episode, we're going to be discussing discipling with grace and truth. Welcome to this episode of General Order 4, and on today's episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about discipling with grace and truth, and that uh, comes from John chapter number 1. Again, if you have your Bible, we'd like for you to turn there and uh, take a look if you have the ability to do that, um, and I think it would help you to be able to see it um, with your eyes, so if you wanted to go there, we appreciate you joining with us today. Um, I'm joined, as usual, by Pastor Brian Stewart. Good day. And we are looking forward to getting into some of this content here. So if you will look at John chapter number one, and we will begin, um, really, we're just going to read a couple verses here, but we're going to begin in verse number 14. It says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word word there is capitalized referring to Jesus Christ. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So this first chapter of John um, is dealing, it deals with the creation right at the beginning of the chapter, um, and then it goes on through. But the purpose that John is writing here of is to emphasize the deity of Christ, and then it talks about John bearing witness of Christ. And so there's a lot of things in here. Um, But what we wanted to really hammer down on in this verse, in verse 14, um, if I take the parenthetical statement out, now I know that every word is given by inspiration, so I'm not taking it out to say it's not important. Um, But grammatically speaking, uh, the sentence makes sense even without the parenthetical statement. So I'll read it as if the parenthetical statement isn't in there, and that'll help us make sense of the sentence here. So in verse 14, it says, And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And so what we wanted to talk about um, on this episode was that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, he came and spent the full time of his ministry with 12 men teaching and training and discipling them. I don't have to hammer that home. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that that's really what this podcast is about, that Christ's model of ministry here on earth was investing in the few to reach the many. So he's investing in these 12 men and he's putting all of his efforts into these 12 men. And the Bible says that the method uh, or in the way in which he ministered to these men was that he did so full of grace and truth. And so what we wanted to talk about on this episode was you as a discipler ministering to your disciples that God has given you to teach and to bring to himself in a manner that is full of grace and truth. Now, this is uh, more of an evidence of your Christ-likeness than it is something that you can do. Being full of grace and truth uh, is not something that you can manufacture. You cannot manufacture grace. We've we've really hit home hard on the ideas of truth on this podcast. We've talked about how, you know, and you shall know the truth, the truth shall set them free. We've talked quite a bit about um, the different things that ought to be taught 
in this discipleship process, we've talked about how Christ was not shy about telling the truth when it needed to be said. Um, but unfortunately, um, in many churches today and really throughout history, truth has come as the priority over grace. And when that happens, you end up with an idea that people can be bullied into following Christ. Um, and obviously that's not true. So yeah. when Christ came to earth, he came full of truth. Absolutely. Because he is the truth, the very word of God in flesh, but he also came full of grace. And this type of ministry model completely defeats the idea that you can bully your way, uh, into, uh, discipling someone to be Christ like. So being full of grace and truth. Notice he doesn't say full of grace or truth. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not an option. Both are required. Both are necessary. And uh, the beauty of this is that Jesus set that example for us, and he's the model for us. Uh, he goes on and says that uh, it's of his fullness uh, have all we received grace for grace. And so he continues on, and then in verse 17 he makes a comparison to the law. The law was given to Moses, but he says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so how does he want us to function? The whole book of John is introducing us to Jesus Christ so that we will put our faith and trust in him. And it just uh, it's just an important aspect of those of us that have uh, been matured by him that we're going to demonstrate what he demonstrated or what we are demonstrating is that we haven't been matured by him we've mm -hmm. been matured by some other process or some other uh, quote unquote lord but if he truly is our lord grace and truth are going to define the way we minister and how we minister and so we want to be careful to demonstrate that grace as well as the truth. I, like you mm -hmm. said, I think we, especially those that, uh, that the circles that we run in, we're, we're, we're real good at getting the truth out. And we're real good at sticking to the truth. The problem is many times is that we're not as gracious as we should be. Mm -hmm. uh, so who should we be gracious with? Well, this is going to, be evidenced that if we look at Christ's model, he was gracious with anybody who was bound by sin. He was gracious with anybody who was willing to seek him, whether it was a, a serious seeking or just kind of a, a inquisitory seeking. Uh, many times, like you mentioned when we were prep, prepping for this, uh, that there's multitudes that would come to him, and he was gracious to them. He mm -hmm. would give them some truth. But he would also hold the harder truths back from them right. in his grace. And uh, and then those that would follow him seriously, he was gracious to them many times. But who was he not gracious with? And uh, I think the biggest point is that those that were false teachers, those who were misleading others, were the ones that didn't find him to be that gracious. Uh, but all others did. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that... that I mean, I, would, I just thought about Nicodemus and the conversation that he has with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, how gracious he was with Nicodemus. And mm -hmm. 
what you were just talking about was that conversation. You know, he has a, a whole sermon that he basically preaches to the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. But Nicodemus is a Pharisee. But when Nicodemus came to him with an open heart and an open mind, yeah. Christ was very gracious with yeah, him. Yeah, that's a good point because Nicodemus really fit in both categories, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, uh, because he was willing to seek the Lord, the Lord was gracious with him. And so this idea of grace is a very practical thing. Grace, the very definition is that we get, that we're given something we don't deserve. And so none of us... If we look at our, if we look at God as Creator, and we recognize who He is, uh, we don't deserve anything from Him. Mm-hmm. In fact, other than judgment for our rebellion, as a as a human race, we have rebelled and continually rebel against our Creator. And just for that fact alone, we ought to uh, face judgment. We ought to face his wrath, uh, and yet he is continually giving us things we don't deserve. I mean, the very mm-hmm. fact that we breathe is a gift of grace. And so God is so gracious to us when we are his servants, when we are his representatives to the lost or to the brethren. We need to be more like him and give people things that they don't deserve. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about this in discipleship, how does that relate to discipleship? Well, who deserves to be discipled? I can guarantee you that I never deserve to be discipled. I didn't deserve for somebody to take time and resources and money that they could have allocated to other people or other things. Mm-hmm. But that person gave me grace by giving me things I didn't deserve. Yeah. I don't deserve the truth, but yet the truth was given to me as well. Uh, So the truth given to me with a gracious spirit, with a gracious mindset, by giving me these things that I don't deserve. And so because I have so freely received his grace, it's it's my turn, it's my privilege to be able to extend that grace to others. And so uh, I don't know if you want to go to talking about the practical aspect of it at this point, but uh, yeah. we want to help us to understand what does this, what does being gracious look like when you're dealing with somebody? The Christian idea of grace is completely foreign to the world and the mindset of the old man, because the mindset of the old man, like you just said, I didn't deserve grace. I didn't deserve truth. But the entire idea of that old man is that I do deserve everything. Yeah. Anything and everything that I want, I deserve and I'm going to get. And you, all you have to do really to, to see that is to turn on the news or politics or listen to um, you know what's going on in the world right now. And you'll find a bunch of people talking about their entitlements and their rights as individuals, right? And that's what that's what all of us want to talk about. But in our that may, some of that may be true as far as the rights that are granted to us by the founding fathers and documents and that kind of thing. But as far as our standing before God, we have no rights. Yeah. We have no options. We have no ownership of anything. Everything is his. And if Christ would have come in truth without grace, he would have come to judge the world. Yeah. 
But he said he didn't come to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because he came in, yes, he came in truth, but he also came in grace. And so this idea, the Christian idea that we find from Scripture of grace is completely foreign to the world. And that's what makes it so interesting. Because you've got this person who just got saved, who just came out of the world, and they're being introduced to, for the very first time, they've come to an understanding that they don't deserve what Christ did for them. Yeah. And so now you're trying to teach this person, but they, they still are a baby. And when Christ came, he treated his disciples in the very early part of his ministry very differently than he did at the end of his ministry. And the very first part of his ministry, when Christ taught his disciples, he taught them in, um, in, in, in truthful ways, but in soft ways. And then towards the end of his ministry, we start hearing things like, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he can speak to those men much more brashly than he could when he first started because he was having grace on them. What, what's the point I'm trying to make here? The point is, we deal with babies differently than we deal with adults or children. Yeah, I deal with my youngest daughter, who's one, differently than I even deal with my older daughter, who's four. Because they have a different level of understanding. So when daddy says, hey, everybody out of the bedroom, which is something I have to say several times a day. um, (laughs) Hey, everybody out of my bedroom. um, I expect my older two to obey that and get out. I don't expect my one-year-old to obey that and get out. Because she doesn't have the same understanding of daddy's seriousness that they do. So there's a little bit more grace given to her. So practically speaking, Pastor Stewart, when you're discipling somebody, especially a brand new believer, kind of what does that balance between grace and truth look like in the early stages as compared to the late stages? Well, I think if we look back, I think we've covered some of this in one of the episodes, but it's primarily going to be in your scheduling, your availability to them. Uh, one of the ways that that we can be gracious to this new believer is that we understand that they're not. This is not top priority in their life, so they're not going to forgo a club meeting that they have or a sports uh, venue that they're a part of. They're not ready to understand and forego those things. So that may require me to have to forego something else or put one of my priorities on the back burner in order to be available to meet with them. And Mm -hmm. me being gracious to them is giving them something they don't deserve because necessarily, you know, me changing my schedule, uh, you know, that's, that's not something that somebody you just met within the last week or last month deserve, you know, they don't deserve for you to rearrange your whole schedule and your whole life which mm-hmm. could affect your family and your wife and your children as well. But because God, and really as, as we look at Jesus as the example here of grace, did he rearrange his uh, living arrangements to provide grace and truth to us? Well, yeah, he left heaven mm-hmm. and came to earth for 33 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, you could say, a little inconvenienced to leave his throne to come <laughs> down for us. So. For me to have to change my dinner date or, you know, and again, 
do I do it all the time? No, we've got to balance these things. But there are times that being gracious is, you know what, I'm just, I'm not going to have my time to sit and chill. Uh, I'm going to have to take that time and minister to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it cut, it goes back to like Jesus, his, he was willing to forego meals. He was willing to forego things uh, of, of pleasure and leisure so that he could meet the needs of those that were around him because that's why he came. And so that's why he has saved me. That's why he saved us. And that's why he has uh, called us to do. And so being gracious is going to be being like him and, and being willing to you take the brunt so that you can give this new young believer the best opportunity to grow in the truth and the knowledge, but also to experience that grace. Uh, Grace could be uh, you paying for the meal uh, if you meet at a restaurant. Uh, It could be as simple as um, when they, they come together, you end up spending a lot of time talking about what's bothering them rather than getting to the truth. Uh, yeah. So being gracious means that you're going to deal with uh, their life situations that they're dealing with in the moment. But again, even then we can refer to the truth. It may just not be the outline truth that we had planned for that day, but it it's dealing with maybe the outline truth that we taught them last week or the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's just illustrating it and in, in living color for them. And now we get to take them back and say, you know, we learned this. The Holy Spirit taught it to you. Now it's time to put it into practice. And so it's just being gracious to be able to see where they're at, continuing to evaluate where they're at, and then just giving them what the Holy Spirit gives to you. And so really, I kind of gets to the point we talked about earlier, that this can only be done in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Grace is giving somebody something that they don't deserve, but that that they need. Mm-hmm. And so I can't give somebody, uh, anybody else, something that they need and may not deserve unless I have the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because if I do it in the power of the flesh, that's when I'm going to be impatient. Mm-hmm. That's when, uh, when I'm not going to be long-suffering, when I'm not going to be joyful, when I'm not going to be uh, tempered. Uh, in my responses. But if I am walking in the Spirit, now I am able to offer them what they need because the Holy Spirit is going to give that to me or put me in remembrance of what he's taught me. But it's also going to affect the way, the the Spirit in which I give it Mm -hmm. to Yeah, I think that's great. And we we talked also about um, how our discipleship lessons, the, the ones that we've used, have been organized um, and I think there's even grace in the way that that's organized. You know, in one of the previous episodes, we talked about having an intentional plan for teaching people. Yeah. What is that intentional plan? That intentional plan is you being gracious and understanding that that person can only handle certain levels of truth at certain levels of growth. Yeah. And so, you know, when God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, those were ten things. They were law they were established, and in this passage, he says that Moses delivered the law to the people. Was there leeway or grace in the law? Nope, none no. whatsoever. And 
shortly after that, there was a guy that got stoned to death for going out and picking up wood for a fire on the Sabbath day. Now, it's the Bible says picking up sticks, and if you look at it like that, it seems like a, a light thing. He's gathering wood for a fire, so it's more than just picking up a few sticks. Yeah. Still, he's doing something that was against the law at this point, and now he's stoned to death. And you think, wow, that's 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 really harsh, you know? And that's because within a law, a law is a law. There is no leeway when you break the law. And when Christ comes, he still is establishing truth. It doesn't mean that there's leeway now in the law to break the law or it's okay to break the law. What it means is that Christ is going to be understanding with babes and he's going to be gracious with them so that they can understand truth. Now, if he's gracious with them and continues to give them truth and they still aren't obeying, now we're talking about something else. But that grace and truth is available to them. So even in the structure in which we are teaching people, starting with the light, lighter things so that they can get a grip on those so that they can have understanding of those and then moving into the tougher things is an act of grace in and of itself. Yeah. And you kind of referenced it a little bit, but you talked about watching for their maturity. That's an act of grace. Um, you can't hold someone to a standard of adulthood that isn't an adult. Yeah. You know, I can't expect my uh, four-year-old to go out and work a job and start paying for things on her own. She's four. But I could expect that of a 16 or 17 or 18-year-old. Yep. Um, so it's having grace and understanding with someone in the, in, the, in the place in life in which they are. And it's amazing if you really study out the life of Christ, you can see him doing this, having grace with, um, with Peter. I mean, Peter is the prime example of someone he had grace on. Yeah. Um, but all throughout that, that process of discipleship, even after Christ died, and rose again, he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He's having grace on Peter because he knows that Peter doesn't isn't quite where he needs to be yet, and he's going to continue to have grace on him. Um, and so that that really he's the, he's a perfect example of that embodiment of grace and truth, like like um, John under the Holy Spirit's direction writes here about him. And again in verse number seventeen, for the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I just kind of want to hammer home what I said at the very beginning of the podcast again. And that is the idea that you can rule with an iron rod and everybody in your church is just going to follow along and everything's going to be great. I've been, as I've traveled around the country on deputation, I've met... uh, pastor after pastor after pastor, many of which were new pastors or had recently come to pastor a particular church and that was pastored by somebody else before. And I heard them say things like either when I got here, I tried to lay down the letter of the law and I found out that it was a bad idea. (laughs) Or I tried to conform everybody to my way of thinking and I found out that I was doing more damage than good. And I've heard other pastors say, you know, when I got here, I determined that I was not going to change anything for a year or two years until I really got to know people and they got to know me. That's the gracious method, right? Mm. That's getting in there, really beginning to minister to people, allowing them to trust you, and then really hammering home those truths. But that, you know, taking the hammer to people is the fleshly way of doing it. We, it's really easy to say, well, I'm just going to preach the truth and they can get on board or not. 
Well, most likely the answer is going to be that they're not. Yeah. And you're not going to do them any good, and you're certainly not going to do you any good. Yeah. Well, one of the words that we've kind of been uh, hitting all around is patience. Uh, I think we've mentioned it once or twice, but really graciousness is is expressed by patience. And uh, when we look at Christ as our example, he was very patient with his disciples. And even when it appeared like he wasn't patient, for instance, when he did the cleansing of the temple, uh, you could read that in a uh, elementary or cursory way and kind of conclude that he just walked into the temple. But if you really study that out, he was in that temple and saw all that happened the day before. And when he went in the, the day or the evening before and he identified everything, we know that he didn't actually act until the next day. And one thing we know, mm-hmm. it's not in the passage, but one thing we know that it was he regularly communicated with his father on things. And so it is clear to me that he didn't—he was even patient in the cleansing of the temple because he saw, he identified, and then he talked to the father about it and got his marching orders for the next day. That's probably a good principle for life, by the way. Oh, certainly. Don't fix it. Don't fix it right now. You go home and think about it and pray about yeah. it first. And then seek God's face on the matter. Uh, he was communing uh, with the Father. How do we do that today? We read the scriptures and let him talk to us. And we uh, talk to him through prayer. And so just praying about it isn't enough. We've got to let him talk to us and give us the marching orders. But... Jesus here sets the example for us. And what does that look like? Well, when when you and I are in a moment and we're tempted to lower the hammer or the boom on this disciple, whether it be lowering the boom of truth uh, because we see an area that needs to be fixed uh, or we uh, think that this relationship needs to be put on hold or pause because they're just not teachable and they're not getting it, Uh, Whenever we have those moments, we need to step back and be patient. And you and I as the discipler needs to make sure that we're going to the Father and that we're getting our marching orders from them. Does he know whether this person's going to really grow or not? Absolutely. Does he know uh, whether this person can handle that truth at this point or not? Yes or no. Uh, He's the one that knows. We're We're the ones that don't. And so Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many years of experience you have in ministry, you don't know the heart of man like God does. And so this graciousness includes us deferring to the, the master, the Lord, on how we proceed with things. And so we need to make sure that we are in regular communion with him. And he is in regular communion with us because it's a two-way street. And when those two things are happening and he gives us the, and he will do it, he will give you the direction. Sometimes when it's it's a matter of, he's just going to leave it up to your discretion, but many times he doesn't, but we need to make sure we've got his marching orders on it before we go lowering the boom on people. And uh, I think by that pause, by hitting the pause button or demonstrating patience, we can do that, and there there are times things have to be handled in the moment. I mean, if there's somebody standing mm-hmm. up in church giving false uh, teaching or, or something like that, certainly we've got to deal with that in the moment, but we don't have to lower the whole boom in that moment. We mm-hmm. may end it, truncate what's going on, and then uh, 
have that person meet with us later that week and and go into it in more depth and not in, in public. Sometimes it needs to be done in public so that others will fear. Uh, and so those are all things that if you're walking in the Spirit and your regular communion with God, uh, he will He will give you the leadership you need in those moments. Right. But but grace is something that we don't a lot of times think about in those moments. We certainly think about the truth, and we want to be defenders of the truth. But ultimately, who's the one that's going to ensure that truth prevails? It's not me, and it's mm-hmm. not you. It's our Savior, our Lord, and His Father and the Spirit who are the purveyors of truth. And so I have a. I have a book on my shelf that I haven't been able to get to yet, um, so I won't give the title or the author because I can't recommend it yet. But um, the idea behind the book, the reason I bought it, was the idea of hyper grace, and the idea there was it's a it's a com- it's a com- a combating of hyper grace because there's a lot of places in which they express grace so much to the neglect of truth. Yes. You just need to understand everybody or accept everybody or um, you know allow anything because you're being gracious and you're not and and so much so to the neglect of truth of truth. Yeah. Then on the other hand, um, you know I've personally experienced being under places or pastors or preachers not not my own pastors but others that have preached truth so much to the neglect of grace, and I think. As a disciple, as a discipler, and as we look at the model of Jesus Christ, what we're seeing is a perfect balancing of both grace and truth. And yeah. both things have to coexist if we're going to be effective in discipling other people. Well, in the New Testament, we're commanded to let our moderation be seen of all men. Mm-hmm. And so here we have our the uh, most wonderful example, our model of ministry, of life, of everything that we are and can be. And it says he is full of grace and truth. It's not grace and or truth. It's not a choice. It's these two things are the evidence of maturity because what does maturity look like for the believer? It's Christ-likeness. And what mm-hmm. did he come to uh, come to dwelt among us? And when he did, what did we behold? we beheld this grace and this truth. That's what we see in him. And so what we see in him is what he desires to see in us. He predestined us not to salvation, but to Christ-likeness. And so you and I, if we are going to live life the way we ought to live it, if we're going to minister the way we ought to minister, if we're going to disciple the way we're supposed to disciple, which... Uh, like we started out with, ministry and discipleship from our perspective is the same thing. There's no Mm -hmm. real separation between the two because it's helping others come to maturity in Christ Jesus, which looks like what? It looks like somebody who's gracious, and it is a perfect balance between grace and truth. And I appreciate you bringing that point out because anything that is unbalanced is unlike Christ, and it's not moderation. And he wants us to be temperate and moderate. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, the last uh, evidence of that fruit of the Spirit is temperance. Mm -hmm. And temperance means what? It's somebody who is able to flex but always returns to the original form. Mm -hmm. Glass that's tempered when it is hit hit or gets a blow from some object, 
it will flex but it will always return back to its original form and Mm -hmm. so grace is the flexing and truth is that original form that we always must be there is there a little bit of flexibility absolutely right we wouldn't have the temperance and that that's only produced by the spirit that's not produced by the flesh and so again we've we get back to how do we do this we got to walk in the spirit Mm -hmm. well many of the modern bible versions will translate that word temperance that's translated in the king james to the words self-control which is a bad translation um, because we're talking about the fruit of the spirit, the spirit does not produce self-control; it produces spirit control. Amen. So, like you said, you can't be temperate in the flesh. You can't be patient on by yourself. You cannot. Yep. You simply cannot. You can produce a, a, a facade of manward patience, um, which is just putting up with somebody. But yeah. spiritual patience is not putting up with somebody. It's understanding where they are and helping them get through it and being willing to wait until they do. And that's Amen. not something that you can do on your own. So um, I think I think we've covered that about as effectively as we are able to. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will continue to work on these things in your heart as you have listened to it and try to apply it to yourself and to those that you are discipling or teaching. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to talk to you. We don't have all the answers, but we can try and find them in Scripture and talk to you about them. Um, so we'd be happy to hear from you. Please reach out to us. I'll give you the information to do that um, in the sting here. And if you'd like to uh, hit that subscribe button and uh, share this with other people, we'd appreciate that very much. So thanks again so much for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we'll be wrapping up some ideas about discipleship. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at generalorder4. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe.